nice to see so many of you out here on a Thanksgiving, post-Thanksgiving heartburn weekend. It's great to have you here today to worship the Lord. Well, this is kind of a sad day in the sense that it's the end of our series, One Month to Live, and I hope you have found it very helpful, timely, and challenging in your life. We've been asking the question uh, throughout the series, what would you do if you only had 30 days left to live? And we've been using these beautiful hourglasses up here as kind of a reminder to tell us our time is running out. And I've asked two students, they would come up here right now and pull the little lever behind there. And you can let out time as slowly or as quickly as you would like. So come on up here. Let's give them a hand. Yes. Oh, oh man, I have no time left. Good job. Come over here. Come over here. You at first, so come on over here. I, you have your choice. I have a signed copy of the book from the author, and I have a signed journal. Which would you rather have, the book or the journal? You don't want either one of them? They make great Christmas presents. Just choose. The book. All right. You guys think this is a game show? The book. Take the book. All right. Dude, did you get it pulled? Oh, yeah, pull it. There you go. All right. So, what was your choice? Would you rather have the bottle? Come on over here. Let's see how they handle this one. The bottle of water or the journal? There you go. Have the journal, buddy. Thanks, man. You guys are real spiritual. It's our youth, for crying out loud. You want to take the bottle of water instead of the journal. Man, what am I going to do with you guys? All right. That was kind of fun, wasn't it? I have no idea where I'm at, but we also introduced you to a second question that we said that we should all ask. And the second question is, what would you do if your loved one, your friend, only had 30 days left to live? So we've been asking both questions. In fact, the first time, a couple weekends ago, I said, I gave you the assignment to um, treat the people around you as only had 30 days left to live. And I said, how many of you did that? And like five of you raised your hands. So last week I said, all right, I'm going to give you a homework assignment again. I want you to treat the people around you as though they only had 30 days left to live. How many of you did that this week? Well, okay, so we have 20. That's good. All right? I'll just keep doing that until we have 100% because then we know it will revolutionize all of our relationships, right? Okay, good. I got to get rid of these keys because my wife says when I have keys in my pocket, I mess with them all the time, so... There you go. Just you know, let them lay there, honey. I'll pick them up later. Oh, my goodness. All right. All right. But I will I'll have trouble with that. Okay? Uh, now I really lost. We said that we would, be, we said we would be asking ourselves the question, what would I do if I only had 30 days left to live? And we learned, one, that we would learn to live passionately. Two, we said we would learn to love completely. Third, we said we would learn humility. And today we're going to talk about an exit strategy. We're going to talk about how to leave boldly. If you and I knew we only had 30 days left to live, we want to leave boldly. In fact, you know, even if we're going to live 30 more years or however long God has for us, I don't know about you, but I want to leave well, don't you? I want to show up standing before the Lord, having done and lived the best life I can. I like to read uh, widely, and I enjoy uh, the, the writings of certain rabbis, and one of them is a fellow by the name of Harold Kushner, and he wrote something that's very profound that uh, I know I can relate to, maybe you can as well. He said, I am convinced that it is not the fear of death of our lives ending 
that haunts our sleep so much as the fear that as far as the world is concerned, we might as well never have lived. I want to read it one more time. I am convinced, says Harold Kushner, that it is not the fear of death of our lives ending that haunts our sleep so much as the fear that as far as the world is concerned, we might as well never have lived. When I was about my mid-30s, I went through this period where I would wake up in the middle of the night when everything else was quiet, and I had this haunting, haunting sense in my soul of wanting to know, does my life matter? Call it my midlife crisis, where you want, that it was with me for a couple of years. And I would just wake up a couple times a month in the middle of the night having that sense in me. And I oftentimes thought to myself, what was that all about? And when I read that quote, I realized that's what it was all about. See, I have the same kind of desire that you have. And that is to know that my life has mattered. That when it's all said and done, and my life on this earth is over, is finished... I want to know that it mattered, that, that I left some kind of legacy, that I made some kind of difference somewhere for someone. Don't you? We all long for that. And so for just a few minutes, I want to talk to you about sandcastles. How many of you have ever been to the beach and built a sandcastle? Let me see your hands. Many of us have, right? And, you know, it's fun. I enjoy it. I've raised a few uh, kingdoms out of the sand myself. You know, there are some people, however, who take it to a whole new level. They're called sand sculptures. And I've been online, and I'm telling you, their work is impressive. Like this castle that they put together. Oftentimes, they work in teams to do this kinds of stuff. That's just really beautiful. And, and believe me, that's nothing compared to some of the stuff I've seen. There are Christian teams who go around doing this, who do like the Last Supper, the Nativity, Christ on the Cross. Amazing stuff. But there's one problem with sand sculptures and sand castles, and that is when you go out the next day to admire your work, guess what? It's gone. It is not gone. It's almost completely washed away because the tide comes back in. So you don't get to enjoy it very long, and the next thing you know, you're having to start all over again. And that's just like life, isn't it? You know, life can be a routine, isn't it? You do work, you build, you create, and then you got to start all over again. Kind of like this past week at Thanksgiving. How many of you are the chief cook and bottle washer at Thanksgiving meal? Let me see your hands. Yes, we owe so much to you, right? And whether you're a single mom, single dad, or married with kids, or on your own, you know, somebody had to make that meal, right? And, and it's, it's kind of discouraging. You go to all the work and all the effort to cook, prepare, set, put it out, and within minutes, cannibals show up. And they just, and they just obliterate the whole thing and leave a mess. And then they go fall asleep on the couch and you have to clean it up again. That's just like life, isn't it? You know, I mean, think about it. We, we get up in the morning, depending on whether we're single or married or have kids. You know, we have our little routine. You know, I know for, for families like mine, when we were raising our children, you get up, you know, you brush your teeth, you, have your, you try to have your devotions, you, you get the kids fed, you get them off to school, and you go to work, and you do work, and then you come home, and, and if your kids have homework, you got to help them, or they got to belong to a club or a sports event, and you try to get a workout in between, you try to take care of personal business, you feed them again, you barely crawl into bed, wake up, do the same thing over over again and again and again and again. And sometimes we look at that life of ours and it just feels like we're chasing our tail. It's an endless routine. We go, man, there's no meaning. There's no value in what I do. How am I ever going to leave a legacy when I'm never going to be famous? I won't be elected to an office. You know, I won't sculpt something wonderful. My picture won't be in the paper for something good. And, you know, we just think that our lives are so dull. How can they ever matter? 
And I want to tell you something. It isn't so much what you do in terms of what you build or create or accomplish. Don't take me wrong. Those things can be significant. You know, like if you discover something that cures cancer or you build a home for, for folks who are without. You know, I understand those things matter. But it's not so much the things that we accomplish that we, that we achieve and we build as much as how we do it and who we do it with that really matters. So you may be just um, washing dishes or just be preparing meals. Or maybe you're like me this, this week. I got to go back down to San Antonio to visit my daughter and her husband, Pablo, and my little granddaughter. And I got to hold her for hours. And I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And she truly is the cutest baby in all of the state of Texas. As you can see from the next picture here, she really is a darling. Oh, just, you know, I just love that little granddaughter so much. But, you know, there are other things I could have done besides holding her. I could probably think of books I could have read or should have read, maybe phone calls I should have made, you know, places I could have gone. But I want to tell you something. The most significant thing I did this past week was hold my little granddaughter because every time I held her, I prayed over her. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed for her health. I prayed for her mom. I prayed for her dad. I prayed for her future husband someday. I prayed. I just, every time I had her, I was praying, praying, praying. And I believe that that makes a difference. And, you know, all she can do right now is eat, sleep, and load her diapers and cry when she needs changing or she's hungry. That's all she can really do right now. But you know what? When, when grandparents... When, when her grandfather gets to hold her in the security of his arms and transmit unspokenly, subconsciously, security and love to her, I believe it has a lasting legacy. I believe it makes a difference. So whatever you do right now, stop thinking of it as a routine. Stop thinking about feeding your kids as this thing you have to do. Stop thinking about going to your job as this thing you have to do. Stop thinking about your life as a routine and think more about how you do your life because that's what matters. Let me show you what I mean. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me this morning. We're going to talk about building here. And as we talk about building, I'm not so concerned about what you build as how you go about building it and who you build it with. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 And Paul is giving us a a spiritual illustration, but he's using the concept of building to do it. Verse 12, he says, If anyone builds on this foundation, meaning the foundation of the gospel of Christ, using gold, silver, costly stone, uh, excuse me, gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the days will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So Paul's saying, you have a foundation, his name is Christ. Now, how are you going to build on that foundation? Are you going to build with things that, you know, are going to be tested and won't make it? Wood, hay, straw, burns up, it's gone. Are you going to build a life for yourself? Are you going to build a life for success? Or, Paul says, are you going to build on Christ with the materials that have an eternal consequence to them? That is, they transcend time and eternity. They leave a legacy. They make a difference. They bring glory to God. I want to talk to you about three 
things that you need to build with in your life and in your relationships this morning that will transcend the grave and have eternal consequences for you and for others. Only three. The first one, write it down, are your convictions. Are your convictions. What are convictions? Convictions are your values. What are your values? Your values are the things that you hold to, that you believe in, that you base your life on, that informs how you act and how you behave. For instance, I might say to you that I hold the value of telling the truth. In other words, I believe you should always tell the truth no matter how painful it might be. But listen carefully. Just because somebody tells you they have a certain value does not really mean it's their value or their conviction. How do you tell what somebody's values are? You young people, as you form relationships with others, how can you tell whether they really have the right kind of values? The answer to that question is by watching how they behave in a crisis or when faced with temptation. Because how we behave in a crisis or when we are faced with temptation will always betray what we really believe. So I can say to you, you should always tell the truth. But maybe I get in a pinch and I say to myself, if I lie, I'll get out of this. And then I choose to lie. What if I just revealed to you? Truth is not a value to me. It is not a value to me. So the question is, what am I basing my values on? I can base my values on philosophy, I can base my values on some guru's teaching, you know, some religious methodology. I can base my values on Hollywood, God forbid. I can base my values on what my peers think. But God makes it very clear to us, if I want my values to make a difference, if I want them to transcend eternity, I need to base them on the word of God. So it says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, let's read it aloud together on the screen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands, how long? Forever. So I want to make sure that I base my convictions, my beliefs, and my behavior on the word of God. Why? Because the word of God stands forever. It has eternal consequences to it. It has eternal rewards to it. I love what Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 7. Let me read it for you. He said, anyone who listens to my teaching, the word of God, and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on what? Which is what? The word of God, right? Then he goes on and he says, but anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. We've been talking about sand castles. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a what? Mighty crash. Why? It's not built on a stable foundation. It's not built with the right materials. So God says, build your life on my word. Establish your values and convictions on my word. Now think about this with me. If I live a life based on the convictions of God's word, of God's word, no matter how unpopular it may be in the culture, I base my values and convictions on God's word and I bring those with me into my relationships, into my job, into my children, into my grandchildren's life. 
I am going to leave a legacy. I am going to make a difference. Why? Because the world around us right now, the world around us is looking for truth. It's looking for value. It's looking for underpinning. It's looking for some kind of foundation. And we live in a very fluid culture right now where we're not sure what truth is, what values matter. And we see its disintegrating effect on the family and on people's lives today. If you look at the world today and you like what you see, I am not living on the same planet as you are. It is not good. That's because we've moved away from these values. Second thing you have to build with is your, with your character. With your character. You know, you aren't going to take your house to heaven with you. You're not going to take your car to heaven with you. You're not going to take your stocks to heaven with you. And that's not a problem for a lot of us right now, right? You're not going to take your toys, your, you know, Xbox, your whatever to heaven with you. But you're going to take your character. Because your character is who you are. And right now here on earth, God is trying to hone your character to look like his son. Because the more your character is the character of Christ, the more impact you have on the relationships of the people who are around you. Romans eight twenty nine puts it this way. The writer says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like who? Like his son. Finish it with me. So that his son would be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God wants you to look like his son so that his son will be multiplied throughout the world. You know, it's when you become a follower of Jesus, he places his spirit in you. The question is, can the Holy Spirit come out of you? Can he take over your personality? Can he take over your character? The more I let Christ take me over, oh my goodness, think about it. The significant impact I have on my children, my grandchildren, my husband, my wife, my friends, my coworkers, my boss, my neighbors, right? If we were to truly be Christ-like to them. And so this whole process, from the moment I accept Jesus, to the minute I die and time runs out, God is working in my life. He's working in my life to make me more like his son, Jesus. How does he do that in our lives? He uses three tools. Ready? Write this down. The first tool he uses are problems. How many of you have problems? How many of you have enough to share with others who don't? Yes, we all have problems, don't we? And we try to run from our problems. We try to defeat our problems. We try to deny our problems. But we all have problems. As a follower of Jesus, I can look at my problems as his tool to shape my life. Michelangelo was once asked how it was he sculpted out of stone his famous uh, statue called the David. The David. And his answer was pretty simple. He said, I just chiseled away everything that didn't look like David. How does Christ form the character of his son in your life and my life? By chiseling away everything that is resistant to Christ. That's not like his son. And sometimes God uses small problems to rub off the rough edges in our lives. And sometimes he uses the big problems to jackhammer off those big blocks in our life. Sin, habits, issues that need to go from our lives. And I know we don't like problems. But if you have problems right now, if you're struggling right now. I want you to ask yourself what character trait 
is God trying to bring out of your life by the particular problem you're facing. Paul faced a thorn in his flesh. We talked about it last weekend. And he asked God to remove it. And God said, I won't. Paul said, why? God said, because it humbles you. And then when you're humbled and are forced to depend on me, in your weakness, my strength comes through. Is that what God's trying to do with you right now? Is he trying to bring out a characteristic of his son in you by allowing that problem in your life to move you to depend on him? What's he trying to chisel off your life? Greed, selfishness, pride? Trying to create dependence on him? Second tool he uses is pressure. You know, pressure is an amazing thing. Pressure will force out of you your operating system. In other words, pressure in my life will always bring out what I'm trusting in or who I'm trusting in. Sometimes pressure brings out of me anger. Sometimes pressure brings out of me impatience. Sometimes pressure brings out of me dissing the people who are around me. Sometimes pressure brings out of me a bad habit. Or pressure can bring out of me Christ-likeness. Depending on how I respond to that pressure on my life, whether it's a deadline or a decision that has to be made or pressure other people are putting on me. Remember the story of David and Goliath? I love that story. Goliath, the big giant, is standing there, you know, and, and, and down the hill and across the valley are the Israelites and Saul, and they face the pressure, this mammoth man, this Goliath giant. And what does the pr- pressure of Goliath bring out of the Israelites and Saul? It brings out their what? Fear. Brings out their fear. But David steps in there, and he stands in front of the giant, right close to the giant. He's just a student. He's just a young man standing there in front of the giant. And what does the pressure of Goliath bring out of David? Does it bring out of fear? Okay, let's go to 1 Samuel. Let me tell you a story. Does it bring out fear? No, it brings out what? Courage. It brings out great courage. Who are you to come against, you know, the God and the armies of Israel? You're going down, clown. That's kind of a paraphrase of the passage there. David took him down. Because he allowed pressure to move him to trust in God. The third thing that God uses to forge the character of a son in our life. And by the way, Jesus faced problems. Jesus faced pressure, didn't he? And it just bore out his godliness. The third thing God uses are people. But not just people in general. God uses EGRs. And you know what EGRs are? They're the people that that require extra grace from you. Right? Right? Extra grace required people. How many of you know EGRs, right? You probably work with some EGRs, right? You may work for some EGRs. You may live with some EGRs. You may be sitting next to an EGR right now. I don't know, all right? But in all of our lives, there are people who we oftentimes say, rub us wrong, right? That's heavenly sandpaper, folks. God is using in your life and my life to bring out Christ. Do you think Jesus had EGRs in his life? I know he had 12 of them. Call his disciples. Look at their lives carefully. They could require extra grace sometimes. Primarily the guy we looked at last weekend, Peter, could be a real EGR at times. Judas could be a major EGR. Even John could be an EGR. They had all kinds of wacky ideas. Who's going to sit on the right side of Jesus? God, send fire down and destroy those Samaritans. 
I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm second in charge in heaven. I mean, they had some. I mean, those guys had issues. But what did it bring out of Jesus? It brought out truth and grace. He was never afraid to confront them, but he always did it with unconditional love, didn't he? And I love John 13, 1, where it says Jesus loved them to the very end. Why has God put EGRs in your life? To bring out his grace in your life. To bring out his love in your life. Folks, don't you see it? Don't you see that if I just will manifest Christ-like character as I go through my daily life, in my daily interactions, whether it's making a meal, holding my child, holding my grandchild, interacting with people at work, if I'll just live my life on biblical convictions, and if I'll just let the character of Christ come out in me, you'll leave a legacy. No, no doubt about it, you'll leave a legacy. You'll make a difference. It'll affect somebody's life. The last thing as we close our series up, and I want you to jot down, is God uses community in our life. God uses community in our lives. You know, when this world is over for you, when your time is up, you know, your convictions will transcend the grave and go with you because they're based on the eternal word of God. Your character, your Christ-like character will transcend the grave and it'll go with you because it's who you are. And guess what else? You're going to spend eternity with other followers of Jesus in heaven. And so why not start practicing community now? That's why we encourage you to get in, in our life groups or our small group ministry. We want you to do life together because you see, you're needed in the body of Christ. And the body of Christ needs you. Paul talks about this, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, of how we're incomplete without each other. We want, it, we want you to be in small groups because that's where you can get encouragement. That's where you can get prayer. That's where you can get accountability. That's where you can be challenged. I'm in a small group. My wife and I are in one. And, you know, sometimes you say, well, I'm just too busy. Oh, my goodness, I could say I'm too busy too. But you know what? When I get done with a small group meeting, I'm always glad I was there because I get something out of it. I'm blessed. They're blessed, I hope. We encourage, we nurture, we help each other, not just the group meeting, but outside of it as well. And relationships is where we make the biggest difference. And God's calling you to make a difference through relationships. So, the question, one more time. If you only had 30 days left to live. And that was it. Would you know today that you're leaving a legacy? Would you know today that your life has made a difference? I love the story about a businessman who checked into a resort and early the next morning he got up and he went for a walk along the beach. And as he was walking along the beach, he saw countless starfish that had been washed up in the night. They were still living, still moving, and, and clamoring to try to get back in the ocean water. And he knew that soon the hot tropical sun would come out and would bake them dead. And he knew that there were just too many for him to make a difference. So he just decided to walk on. As he walked further down the beach, he came across a little boy who was bent over at the waist, and he was picking up starfish and flinging them like frisbees in the ocean. 
one and then another and then another and then another as fast, as furiously as he could. And the businessman looked at this and decided it was time to teach this little boy a very harsh life lesson. So he walked up to the little boy and he said, son, you're, what you're trying to do is a noble, noble thing. But look, there are just too many starfish. And soon the sun will be out and it's going to kill them all anyway. So you really can't make a difference. Just go on and play. And the little boy, like little boys do, just stared at the businessman while his little wheels were turning. And then he bent over and he picked up a starfish and he flung it like a frisbee into the ocean. He said, well, I just made a difference for that one. And that's all God's asking you and me to do is make a difference in someone's life. Leave a legacy for the kingdom, for eternity. You know, at Christmas time, we oftentimes take a Christmas offering. In the last couple of years, we've kind of taken it and given it back to our own ministries here at the church. But this year, I, I ask that we not do that. So this year I said, I want us to do something that makes a difference in the life of somebody else. And I really have a lot of respect for Samaritan's Purse, which is run by Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son. Maybe you've heard of it. They go all the way around the world and help people in crisis and needs. And they have a special ministry that's very unique where they bring children from other countries, third world countries, who have congenital heart uh, defects to receive surgery here, who if they didn't get those surgeries, those kids would die. So they bring the kids in. The hospitals and surgeons provide uh, free uh, surgery. But, but there's no money for the airfare. There's no money for food. There's no money for shelter for the mom and the interpreter that usually come. So I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if we as a church were to sponsor some of these kids who are on the waiting list to have these surgeries? And I thought when they come, I, and they could go anywhere in the United States, Michigan, they go to Canada, uh, several different Mayo Clinic in Minnesota that they're brought to, you know, to go there and, and meet them by video and bring it home for you to see. According to Franklin Graham, some of the older kids and moms will receive Christ during this whole experience. We can bring over three kids for about $17,600. And I want to show you one of the kids that we plan on bringing already. And I'll share the other two with you when we find out who they are. And this little boy is from Mongolia. It's just a very short video clip. And he needs heart surgery. Watch this. Well, there are hundreds and hundreds of kids who need to have heart surgery. 
Hundreds and thousands of kids who are starving. And the temptation might be for us to say, there's so many, what difference can we make? You know, if we make a difference in one child, it leaves a legacy. It makes an eternal difference. We're going to try to do it with three. Say, so what if you get more than $17,600? We'll bring more kids. That's real simple. So I want to challenge you. You're going to get a letter from me this week in an envelope for your Christmas offering. It's above your regular tithing that you do. And as you turn it in, it will go towards bringing him here and two other children to the States or possibly Canada for surgery. And uh, if you don't get the envelope for whatever reason, you're not on a mailing list, then if you just, in the memo section of your check, just write down children's Christmas gift, all right? Then we'll make sure it gets taken care of and we'll keep you posted. Our Christmas Eve offering, which we traditionally take, will be given completely toward this. So all through December, you can give your gift. One of the things I want to challenge you possibly to do is, and maybe in some situations, instead of buying an extra gift for someone, maybe, maybe you, you donate toward this and, and just write them a note and say you helped save a child's life giving them surgery. That'd be a cool way. Now, don't you think that matters? Don't you think that'll make a difference for eternity? I do. And I want to challenge you to be a part of it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. And I can't wait for us to meet these kids and their families. Amen? Well, it's been a good series, hasn't it? And uh, I hope you and I won't forget, and I'll keep reminding us, what would we do if we only had 30 days left to live? Let's stand and let's close the prayer. If you're a guest, please come see me in the guest center. I'd love to meet you today. And don't forget our December series. It will be life-changing. Father, thank you for each person who's here today. Oh, God, thank you so much that we don't have to go through life facing as a dreaded routine. We've just learned today that if we'll live our daily lives with godly convictions and godly character in meaningful relationship with one another, it will make all the difference in the world. And that's what we ask from you to do through us. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, amen. God bless you. Have a good day.